I'm Alan Barr, and this is Radio Free RPG. Hello, I'm Alan Barr, and welcome to Radio Free RPG. Today, I'm joined by my guest, David Annandale, writer, author, all-around creative individual. David is a teacher who teaches film and cinema at a college up in Canada, the, the far north place with the weird money, as I like to remind people. And David has played in role-playing games with me for coming on a decade now intermittently. God, is it that long already? Wow. Well, I've been married eight years, and we were playing together before I was married. So, Oh, my gosh. The time goes by. <laughs> well, everything changed with the last couple of years. So, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about some of the work you've done and where what people might find or be interested in. Well, uh, most of my writing has been uh, for Black Library and Aconite. So uh, in the Warhammer 40,000, uh, Age of Sigmar and Horus Heresy lines, uh, you'll find such books as... Uh, uh, the Damnation of Pythos, Ruin Storm. Uh, we've got some books about Neferata, and some also some books in the recently in the Warhammer Horror line, uh, such as uh, in uh, sorry, The House of Night and Chain, and The Deacon of Wounds. For Aconite, I've done uh, some books for Legend of the Five Rings and uh, Arkham Horrors, uh, so that, like the novel In the Coils of the Labyrinth. And I've uh, been writing a, a trilogy of Doctor Doom novels for them as well, uh, with the third coming out this spring. Wonderful. That's all very exciting. I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps those me busy. Are, those are not small, uh, interesting names to be working alongside. So, as a professional writer, uh, you also have written for tabletop role-playing game materials. But most of your writing is, we'll say, adjacent to yeah. the tabletop gaming space, inspired by or derived from, but not necessarily a required element like a rule book or game book would be. Right. Yes. I mean, the uh, the the most I've done with that has been for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let let's start with the the elephant in the room, I suppose. Games Workshop. All right. That is a that is an immediately recognizable IP to most gamers, especially in the miniature space where I often play war games. Uh, they are the 800 pound gorilla of the wargaming tabletop space. So what is it like writing in the grim, dark, far future of Warhammer 40k? It's a lot of fun. Uh, the... I that th it was something that um th that was the world that I came to via the uh the fiction. Uh my my gaming skills there are um let, let, let's just say if you want someone that you want to beat easily, I'm your man. Uh, but uh sounds like I'll be coming up to Canada to improve my <laughs> record. Uh but the what drew me to the the universe uh, was how it was a kind of one-stop shopping uh, nexus for all the things that I love. 
So it's uh, it's war, it's horror, it's science fiction, it's fantasy, it's it's like it's everything in this this, this wonderful uh, dark and screaming stew, and the that I just, I, I find that uh, collection of elements absolutely irresistible. Sure, that's I I have been playing various Games Workshop games for closing in on at least twenty plus years, probably close to 25. Now, I I have things I like. I, I started with Warhammer Fantasy, the now sort of defunct old world, mm-hmm. um, and then got into 40K and then Age of Sigmar. Is there a particular one of those three that you prefer to the others, just in terms of like what you write or what it like kind of hits your sweet spot more, obviously? Well, most of the to date, most of my stuff has been for forty k, and that's uh, where that that was my way in. Uh, I, in fact, didn't start writing anything in the fantasy line until after Warhammer Fantasy, uh, after the the old world uh, had been destroyed. Right. So my first uh, my first stories for the Age of Sigmar line were just as it was getting going. And then I didn't do anything else, any novel uh, length work for that until it had been around for a few years. Okay. Um, and so uh, Neferato, uh, the uh, Mortark of Blood, was the first novel that I wrote for uh, for Age of Sigmar. Uh, my my attention is now kind of split, sort of almost like 50-50. I kind of jump back and forth be- between the two. And, okay. uh, and so they, they've both become very much home for me. And Sure. So, I mean, certainly if you'd asked me this question a few years ago, uh, I, I probably would have easily said 40K was where I felt most at home. And that was, that was, that was my first love. Right. And that, you know, it's still, you know, I still, I, I mean, I've lost track of how many books I've written uh, for, for that. Sure. Uh, but as the age of Sigmar has developed and uh, become a much, much uh, richer place to, to play in, uh, I don't think I could actually say, "Oh, yeah, this is where I th- this is my favorite." It de- depends more on the individual sure. project, the individual character that I'm playing with, or writing. Interesting. About, so it's interesting you bring up Neferata because, as an old school, old world player, I recall her from when she was one of the undead queens of the Tomb Kings army, the right. desert sort of pseudo Egyptian themed fantasy army in the old world. When you were writing that book, how much were you allowed to reference sort of that subtle, intrinsic character history? For for listeners who aren't familiar, when the old world was ended as a line, it was sort of in-universe, rebooted, retconned, and like mixed up into this similar but very different setting where some of the major characters still existed, albeit in alternate forms. And Neferata seems to be one of those. Yes. Yeah, so there, I mean, in some ways I had um, the, I don't know if advantage is quite the right word for it, but it, it might be. So because I, um, like my history with the, the fantasy line basically begins with Age of Sigmar. Uh, I didn't really have a lot. Um, okay. Uh, with uh, of a history with with uh, the the fantasy line, so I was newish to this universe mm-hmm. along with all the characters. So I did have, um, I mean, there uh, there'd been a, um, Josh Reynolds had written some stuff with Neferata in it, uh, 
before I uh, did my two books with her. But my okay. my task with Mortark of Blood was essentially to introduce her to, it was, it was kind of book zero origin story for her in okay. the, the Age of Sigmar. So in some, I, I, mean, I wouldn't say it was a blank slate exactly, right. but it was more a sense of a, the, the character certainly ex- pre-existed but her the, the history that I was using was one that began with the Age of Sigmar. I see. There was no um, mandate to tie in certain historical elements or no. baggage, for an example. Okay. No, not at all. Yeah. That's interesting. I, As a child, I found the Warhammer Fantasy Old World very engaging. I poured over that rule book. I read it inside out. I read all the army books, White Dwarf. And I'm... I'm intimately familiar with that universe. Um, And I have found that as the age of Sigmar has developed, I've fallen more and more in love with it. I be it for different reasons. Now, the interesting part of the setting is that they are linked. There is a tenuous sort of thread, but much of the history has been discarded by the apocalyptic world ending slash reboot. And this new setting is much more... Uh, Michael Moorcockian in a large aspect. It's very surrealist, um, a, a weird, dark, cosmic fantasy vibe to it, whereas the previous mm-hmm. one was very much, as my friend would say, potato farmers trying to survive in medieval Europe. Right. Now, it, w- yeah, what, what, like, what is that like to write in? Like, to me, that well, sounds like a fascinating place. Yeah, well, and it's it's a much more expansive place now, right? They uh, so that we have so the, the, each of the mortal realms is is huge, so that gives the uh, a lot of freedom uh, as far as writers are concerned to you know come up with locales uh, that that we want. The I mean, this was of course you can you can see the. In terms of the the ongoing lore, kind of you know the the need to do something like a, a, this reboot because that map was getting very crowded. Uh, yes, and <laughs> there was there were there weren't too many places left to have places, uh, if you will. Yes. So, um, so for instance, for um, the uh, my book, A Dynasty of Monsters, uh, I wanted to have a city called the Colonnade in the Beast Realm, and uh, and I had all, all sorts of features that I wanted for the city. And it was, so it was an easy thing for me to just, okay, go plonk. Here it is. This um, I'm right. I have now this, this playground here where I can do whatever I want. And it's uh, for, for the story. It's not going to interfere with what's happening. The next hill over uh, with, with, you know, with, you know, some, whether it's the lar- larger narrative or, um, or, or some other, story that that's going on you're not going to run into you're not going to start banging into uh corners or uh, or or dead ends where the nar- your your narrative can't go because there's another narrative that's crossing his path as it were so so there's the the expansiveness which is which is great and then the the, the fact that each of the realms has its own flavor uh mm-hmm. i mean fl- flavor is a bit of an understatement uh but that <laughs> Identity, also, maybe. yeah, identity would probably yeah be a better way of putting it, and yeah, I think that what well, you said surreal that that quality is definitely there, and so you, you there's a 
a, a fun reminder that I sort of try to, to tell myself, okay, keep remembering this world does this kind of thing. So what's the, you know, what, what, what right. sort of extreme things are going to be happening? Because that, of course, is uh, one of the, the features of, of all of the Warhammer universe's extremity. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I was, I will freely admit when Age of Sigmar dropped, I was sad to lose the old world and I was probably a bit on the grumpy side, like much of the internet at the time. Um, But as Age of Sigmar has expanded, I have deeply fallen in love with it. It is an evocative and interesting place to spend gaming time. Uh, I have to ask, uh, which faction is your favorite? Oh, um, you see, it, it tends to be whoever I'm writing about at any at any given Fair time. Uh, I I would you know my my shelves are groaning with boxes of uh, you know either figures or armies that I bought for whatever book I happen to be working on. Um, that being said, uh, certainly in the Age, Age of Sigmar, um, I lean um, heavily towards death. Sure. Uh, or perhaps inevitably, uh, given who I, I worked with in 40k, um, I, I've, I've certainly grown very attached to the Grey Knights. Um, that's uh, I, I can support that. My first 40k army <laughs> was Demon Hunters back in the day, so when they right. had all the Inquisitors and Grey Knights together, so. Yes. Yeah, so if I if you held a gun to my head, maybe I'd go there. But um, sure. but it, it also you know, like I said, it uh, it does depend on who uh, I happen to be having to write about at that you know Absolutely. on that given day. That's fascinating. I love to hear that. I uh, I play the Chaos Armies, Beast of Chaos, and Slaves of Darkness, um, primarily because I'm a forever GM, and so when we play the Warhammer RPGs, they're nice to have for monsters when we right. Fight. Yeah. Um, but my primary army in the old world was Bretonians, which is not oh, shocking okay. to anybody who knows me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Seraphon, actually, in Age of Sigmar, I'm quite. Oh, I love them too. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, well, alien dinosaurs. space <laughs> lizard dinosaur guys are super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of yeah, that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, related to working in the Warhammer universe, you've also written some stuff for Marvel. Now, interestingly, whereas Warhammer is an IP derived from a tabletop game, you are writing these Doctor Doom and Marvel novels for an imprint of a tabletop gaming company, but it has nothing to do with a tabletop game. Right. Yes. Yeah. So Aconite is the yeah the publishing arm of Asmodee, and right. and as opposed to say Black Library, which is it's the you know, publishing arm of Games Workshop, but the the IP is all in house. Right. Uh, with uh, with Aconite, the uh, their license is acquired on a case by case basis, and right. so the Aconite was in a, uh, made an arrangement with with Marvel for um, us to be able to use some of the characters, and the, for the Marvel Untold line, the uh, vi- the the villains was the uh, was going to be the focus there and. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw a, a list of possible characters to, to write about, Doctor Doom uh, is, for you know, ever since I was a little kid, has been my favorite Marvel character bar none. Uh, just like there's just no contest. It's it. He's <laughs> he's the guy. Uh, so uh, I would have moved heaven and earth to to get to write him, and so that that's been uh, a, you know 
an incredible privilege uh, to be able to, you know, I just yeah. keep pinching myself. I'm, I'm putting words in Dr. Doom's mouth. It's uh... words that are uh, being read by lots of people. And they're, I, I have all of the novels that you've, that have been released so far. And they're fantastic. I love them. No, thank you. Uh, Dr. Doom is my favorite Marvel villain. Uh, again, like you bar none, there is not a contest. Uh, and so to hear you were writing him was very exciting for me because one, I like your writing and two is my favorite Marvel villain. So this was a peanut butter and jelly moment. <laughs> awesome. um, do you find it challenging to write such an established character with such an established continuity? I mean, he's got 80, almost 80 years in some he ways does. of content. Yeah. Yes, it, it is a challenge. And the same with some of the, 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 the Games Workshop characters right. that have decades of, of lore behind them. So there is a, you know, uh, a certain level of, you know, of, of anxiety. You, you, know, you want, you want, to, you mm-hmm. want to do justice to the character. You want mm-hmm. uh, to be, to be true to them. Um, now in the case of some, uh, someone like doom that um, those, Eighty years odd of uh, of continuity are both a challenge and, but also provide a certain freedom because, sure, I mean, the, there's no way that all of those stories perfectly link up, right? They, you get different right. Doctor Doom in different stories, so, um, I mean, one of the the foundational comics uh, for me is like a, a child one that I read over and over again was an issue of Marvel Supervillain Team-Up, which, which was a, a reprint, um, I think, from originally Astonishing Tales, uh, of a battle between Doctor Doom and the Red Skull. Okay. And that had that had a huge impact on me. And, and so for me, that was, that was Doctor Doom. Uh, or that, that was my sure. my Doctor Doom story as as a kid. I mean, he was in a bunch of other stories, but this was the one I kept coming back to. And so that has been a major influence, a uh, something of a of a cornerstone for the books, uh, where I've I've referred to events in the that comic, in the novels, and in the 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 third one that's uh, that's coming out. Uh, the um, the, uh, the Tyrant Skies. Um, I I get to uh, well, it's Doctor Doom versus the Red Skull again, uh, and so in some ways I'm writing a sequel to that that comic. So th- so I have that as as some of the lore. There's some other Doom stories that I've drawn upon as well. Okay. Um, I don't pretend to be drawing on all of them. That, that that would be impossible, but there are certain strands, uh, certain takes on him that I find particularly interesting, and so okay. those have informed the interpretation of Doom that I provide in in the novels. Sure, that's interesting. Have you read the book All the Marvels? No, I haven't. And I forget the author's name. I'll have to look it up. I'll post it in the show notes. It is a book written by a gentleman who read all of the core Marvel continuity that existed up to a point, up to the point where he finished Um, because Marvel has never rebooted their main line continuity. Right. 
the, the Fantastic Four that they viewed are still the same Fantastic Four in the Marvel continuity in terms of Reed Richards. Everything that's happened has happened through this Reed Richards. And he discusses the cyclical nature of the stories in the Marvel Universe and how the Fantastic Four and by proxy Doctor Doom sort of form a coherent thesis for the Marvel Universe. It's a very fascinating book about storytelling. Um, and I, it was my favorite book of 2022. I recommend it to everybody who has that a tangential interest in comics. It's a very engaging read. He's an excellent writer. Um, yeah, but, the other thing I should... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say please. the other thing I should also add, uh, which, which we picked up a little bit, is that the, the Aconite books um, are possibly taking place in uh, an, an, another parallel universe. So they're not part of the 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 mainline Earth, continuity of Marvel. Earth whatever. Yeah. You right. know, so we're 618 or something like that, as opposed to 616 yeah. or whichever it is. So there's, which, which also then gives us a certain leeway as well. My dog has seen the mailman and is now upset about it. So apologies, listeners. You're going to hear that for a bit. Don't get a hound dog if you want to be a podcaster. It's a bad choice. So moving to the gaming side of the conversation, all this work with these IPs and these established characters, do you find that freeing when you do game work to be maybe cut loose a little bit or does it, or does that structure give you sort of a roadmap you get to adhere to that you find helpful as a writer? The 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 preexisting IPs and the rules and, yes. and so forth. Yes. Uh, the way the way I uh, think of it is the difference between uh, so let's say tie-in uh, fiction work versus original work is the difference between a, um, a uh, an empty sandbox and a sandbox full of toys. So in the the empty sandbox, that's that's your stuff. It's your IP. You 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 can you um, you can do whatever you want, but you've got to come up with it all. Sure. In the 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 tie-in work, you have all these wonderful toys to play with. Now you can't break them. Uh, they're not they're not your toys. You have to give them back in good shape. But uh, they're the toys are there, and they suggest all kinds of stories. Right. Okay. And, which is you know, very much the function, I would say, of the the miniatures themselves. Right. They're and and the, the the battles that you're playing out on the table. They're constructed to kind of give you a, a narrative as you're playing. So you're not right. just it's not you're not just moving pieces around. Those pieces have names. They have agendas. They uh, th- this battle starts to take on a context. So it's not it's not just I shouldn't say just, but it's not go or chess where the battle is. Um, is, is is abstracted from uh, from any kind of narrative. Sure. That's interesting. Um, so one of the things you've done that I've been party to is you have ran an unreleased game I've written as a playtest for our mutual gaming group. So I want to talk about that experience, the, the idea of playtesting a sort of unfinished product in order to give feedback, because that's something that... I don't think we talk a lot about in the game industry and I'm, I find it very interesting because obviously as a game creator, I know how to play test and I do it a lot, but right. as somebody who might not have before, what was it like? What did you, cause it is similar in the sense that I'm handing you a sandbox with toys. You can't necessarily break, but I'm also asking you to maybe bend them a little bit and see if they do <laughs> break. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and the, 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 the nature of this game was certainly, uh, right up my alley. Um, the, as, as a play to, I mean, I guess the, 
you know, because I haven't done a lot of play testing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't, I can't, you know, I don't fully see what's behind the curtain. You know, even when you draw it back, uh, you know, I am seeing things, but I don't necessarily know what they mean, right? Sure. So uh, when I'm when I'm playing, when, when I'm running the game, I don't know if I'm uh, butting up against walls or or breaking things. I'm having fun with what's there on the page and the uh, what opens up. Now I may you know, start to notice, okay, there's certain shorthands or certain patterns of play that are emerging from this. Uh, maybe there's um, kinds of roles that we t- that, that tend to sort of become almost default. Others that right. aren't coming up very much. Um, but that's you know, and but I don't know if that's just the style of play that um, I'm falling into as a game runner, or sure. or whether it's it, that that's emerging from the the rules themselves. I mean, the where where the the structure of the game ends and the players begin is such a fuzzy. Uh, borderline. It, it definitely adds a elemental challenge to the art of playtesting because the audience is also the author, and that, right. that makes editing the product very difficult at times. I now we played this sort of hammer horror inspired role playing game, and one of the reasons I asked you to run it was that is a genre you have a lot of affection and knowledge about being as you teach film (laughs) and specifically you teach a lot of horror films I've noticed. Um, And so I presented this game that was sort of a generic take on this tropey genre of film. And one of the things I had implicitly asked, maybe not explicitly was, does the game hit those notes you would have expected as a genre expert? And was that something you kind of thought about as you read it and you prepared the adventure you ran? Um, well, I mean, I, I think almost, you know, in, in the back, um, it was almost background because the, 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 the sandbox you gave me lent itself very nicely to the, the, the hammer tropes, right? So right. when I was coming up with a scenario uh, to, to run, I never ran into a question of okay, how can I play with the rules in order to make this particular event possible, or these characters possible, or this this scenario work? the the The, the rules lent themselves very easily to the scenarios that, that I had in mind. So I, you know, I I kind of did a magpie thing, picking and choosing from different uh, different Hammer films to kind of create this hodgepodge tribute. Uh, to them that would seem to be one film but turn out to be another and the but i i didn't uh so yeah i i wasn't finding that the the, the rules were in any way a um a ha- hampering that it was it was a, as it was with uh i, I find when i'm uh writing uh, time fiction the the rules are there as the the very helpful structure the skeleton on which to construct the sure. narrative but um, in the same way that, you know, if we're looking at Lego or Tinker Toys or Meccano, right, the, the shape can be just anything you, you want, pretty much. You, uh, the pieces are all there. You just have to put, uh, just put them together. Uh, right. And the pieces, the pieces, I mean, 
that's that's not a perfect analogy because there is f- obviously far more structure uh, to that. Right. It's not just a bunch of disconnected um, bits and bobs. But the I, I don't think the analogy is completely wrong because there is that the the freedom is much greater than I think people outside might the 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 industry or the the, the field might necessarily think. Right, that the, the idea of rules seems to uh, rules the word sounds restrictive in some way, right? Um, when really they're more guidance, framework, and opportunity. Perhaps we should be calling them guidebooks, not rule books. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll try that on my next book and see how badly my sales plummet. <laughs> so. As uh, as an author and a creative who spends time in these fictional worlds or these imagined settings, when you play a role-playing game, do you prefer to have an established setting provided to you? Like, would you like me to hand you a game like uh, the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game and be like, here you go? Or do you like generic rules where you can bolt on your own sort of inspirations most of the time when I have, um, I mean, I've, I've certainly enjoyed playing both. Mm-hmm. When I have run a game, I almost invariably uh, use a game where I create my own setting. Is there a particular reason? I, I just, I, I like, it's fun. I, I like, it's fun to create a world. I, sure. I like, um, I, it, it just for whatever it, I guess it, it it appeals to me in the same way that writing does, right? It, it's so it's another creative outlet, and I mean the uh, the two do blend uh, for me. Um, so I've been uh, run off and on for several years. Been running a a first edition AD and D uh, campaign whose world is one that I created for a, um, a fantasy novel of my own that, that I'm working on. And okay. so it's been a way in some ways to, it's almost like I'm play testing the novels world sure. uh, on, on the characters. Um, and, you know, I throw events at the players that are, you know, are ones that I, um, I've been envisaging uh, for the book, so there's, uh, so right. there's a kind of synergy uh, in, in that regard because it it but it's I, I love living in worlds that that I can make up and and I mean the 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 books the the books that I'm writing in 40k and Age of Sigmar on the one hand yeah it's a pre-existing world but most of the stories that I write there are planets and cities that I have made up. Sure. Right. So you that, that, you have limitations on what you can do, but there's a lot of freedom inside those limitations. Enormous freedom. Yeah. 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 Enormous. Uh, so, so um, I know that in the past, I've I, I have sometimes like and by the past I mean high school. So we're going back to the eighties <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> would use some um, some modules, uh, which which I enjoyed, but I would almost invariably start to come up with you know I wanted my own dungeon, sure. my own castle, my own this. So uh, just like I, I want to write my own stories. So I think that's uh, why most of the, the games that I run, um, I want to come up with my own scenario. Okay. 
that's that's interesting. I I often feel similar, but with rules. Yeah. For me, yeah. the setting is often less relevant than how engaging I find the rule set I am either working on or playing with. Yeah, because... and that I would have... Yeah, sorry, go yeah. on. No, please. Then. Well, that yeah, I mean, I, would... <laughs> I mean, that's the... Um... So that was you know, some of the stuff that I really enjoyed with that, that Hammer game we played um, or um, uh, when I ran a, um, a Tiny Frontiers uh, a game where the, the rules made it very easy for me to come up with the world, the, the story that I wanted to tell. They were rules that, um, you know, b- because I, I could grasp them easily, I, uh, it wasn't... It didn't. It, it didn't take a, a lot of effort to then figure, you know, to sort of right. uh, get all the the the, the nitty gritty and you know, uh, you know, sort of endless charts and tables of how something was supposed to work. The, I could throw the world together pretty quickly, uh, and so I think I um, would find very much what you just said. It's the are the rules fun, right? Does, does right. It, uh, when, when, if, when I read the rules. Do I suddenly start getting ideas for the kind of game I'd like to run, the kind of world I want these rules to take place in, and that's sure. that's is that is uh, what usually draws me to one game system or another. It's the rules. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so, I have sort of a unusual question. Um, when you are playing these games. Are you using them to stress test? Now you said for the case of this fantasy game, obviously you're sort of stress testing the setting you created. And I imagine using that to be like, oh, I don't have an answer for X, Y, Z. I better write that in or something that a player provokes. But when you play games as a player, are you sort of doing the same thing with a character idea? Like this is a character idea I have for something. Mm. Um. Less so, because it's, I guess, primarily, um, it's been a long time now since I've had a chance to play a character in a sustained way, rather than, sure. say, a couple of individual sessions, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, so the the ability to become attached to a character and see their development, um, mm-hmm. where, where, where they're going, it's been a long time since I've been able to be on, I guess that, that's one of the joys about being on the, um, the referee side of the table that you, you've got the, you, you have the world, you have the scenario there. There's right. you, you've, you've previously become attached to it before you even rolled the first dice, right? Because you had to come up with it all before the game session began. Whereas with the, um, with a character, especially if it's a, it's, it's a game that I haven't played before. It's, uh, a question of getting used to okay, how is this supposed to work? Uh, what do I do with this character? Like, I, I find like I'm, I'm kind of feeling my way through how this world works, what we're supposed to be doing, what to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I mean, I think one of the most fu- uh, fun things I've had with a character though was the um, oh, and Kirsten, now that the name's gone out of my head, not Morkborg is that I'm, I'm getting the oh, name. yes. Yes, Morkborg. Yes, I ran Morkborg. Morkborg. Okay, yeah. Um, and even though you know it ended with a total TPK, uh, 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 which 
you know, seems to be a feature, not a bug <laughs> with, <laughs> with that system. There was this kind of immediate, okay, yeah, I get how this works. This is, this is just nuts. Um, yeah. I, uh, I can have, have fun with this character. Oh, he's dead. Well, that's just fine. Cause that was hilarious. Um, and so th- there was something very, very easy. i for whatever reason, about how um, I, I found I was able to slip into the 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 world of that game or, or the character that um, uh, that I had there. I mean, otherwise, you know, like a sustained character. Again, I'm probably I have to go back to high school. The last time I right. had one of those, that that campaign would have made a heck of a novella or short story. That little <laughs> that little one shot was intense. Um, okay, so have you ever? as a writer thought about using solo RPGs to kind of craft a story and then in essence, transcribe it. I haven't really had any um, experience with solo RPGs yet. I have, I have a few, but I just haven't had the time mm-hmm. to explore them. So sure. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know yet. I'd be interested if you ever get the chance to hear your thoughts about that. Maybe we'll do a second episode about solo RPGs and their benefit to writers. Because I have found yeah, as a game, cool. as a setting creator, sometimes those tools that provoke me to have to answer questions get me going faster yeah. than anything else. Well, that's certainly. And then coming back to your, your earlier point about the you know, sort of testing the, the the world in in the D and D campaign. I mean, it 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 wasn't a um, uh, like a, a, a strict copy paste because I was you know bringing in all the D and D monsters and, uh, but it would certainly it, it, it what it did do and perhaps. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, it less in the form of stress testing, but in the sense of, of inspiration or ideas, like the characters is only going down here. Okay. What, what's going to be over here? Oh, um, uh, I, the, now these characters are coming to mind, this location, uh, how they interact with each other. Uh, I, I start, you know, it becomes like an inspiration generation generator. And I can imagine the solo RPG then um, functioning in much the same way, uh, given sure. what you just said. Interesting. All right. So I have two questions left because we're coming towards the end of our time together. Um, the first one, and I've warned you about both of these. You so, have, yes. The first one is, what's a question you've never been asked in an interview that you've always wanted to answer? And then I'm going to ask you to answer it. All right. So uh, I guess the, the question is, how do uh, different media come together in your imagination when you write? Sure. Yes, I would. That's an excellent question i wish i thought of that frankly now i'm jealous all right go ahead all right so uh it's a it's a stew in much the same way that 40k is is a a, a conglomeration mm-hmm. of, of elements um i do have a, a very visual imagination so movies are definitely they're, they're, they're always there and when i write it's kind of like a slow motion film uh, i'm seeing okay. in, in my head um, but, uh, but though, as we've just been discussing, um, writing and games can, can mutually, um, influence one another. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very aware both because of my, um, you know, my, my day job at the university, uh, that, uh, of, of, you know, the, the incredible intertextual ocean that all art exists in. And I try to be very conscious of that too in in my uh, writing so you know think about where did this come from where did that you know how can or 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 looking at how i can pay tribute to this that and the other thing um though i just i discovered just the other day that um 
I was watching a Poverty Row thriller called Mystery Liner from 1933, I think, um, which had this remote control, ocean liner controlling gizmo in it uh, that must have been the inspiration for something that I had in my first novel, Crown Fire, even though I, I only saw the film for the first time this week. But I had read about it back in the 90s. So I that must have been there, even if I I, I didn't remember that um, uh, that that, that MacGuffin initially. It's interesting how those snippets stick with you over the years. Yeah, um, and then sometimes it's it's things that you've been sort of, that have been staying there for a long time, and you get you suddenly get a chance to use them. So in the well, the, the most recent Doctor Doom, the, the, the forthcoming Doctor Doom, I I. Um, I'm bringing back a Marvel character who hasn't been around since I think 1962. Uh, who's only ever had one appearance, but whose appearance on a cover fascinated me from childhood on. And suddenly I, th- I had the chance to bring that character in. At the same time, the uh, one of my major characters in the the Doctor Doom arc is a Doctor Orloff, and that and, and she is my tribute to. Other Doctor Orloffs, the, the the awful Doctor Orloff of uh, that uh, Jess Franco's film, and then you know innumerable right. other Franco films, and the Doctor Orloff that Bella Lugosi plays in Dark Eyes of London, and so by bringing her in, I was able to, and then establishing that yes, she is related to both of those Doctor Orloffs. Uh, I've had the the joy of establishing continuity between. Um, a, a British Bela Lugosi film from 1939 and Jess Franco movie starting in the 60s and the Marvel Universe. Uh, and so it's sort of one of these synergies of different media. Uh, so both movies, novels, and comics. Um, the, Wonderful. All the flotsam that's been there in my head, I can uh, bring them together in one character. That's that's fascinating. That. I think it's very similar to myself and role-playing games. I will see something or read something and I go, I wish I could game that. Yeah. And I will sit down and go, what do I need to do to game that? And then I will start pulling in all these pieces from games I've played or ideas I've had about games and trying to make them in this, you know, cohesive element. That sounds and, like a very familiar process. Yes. And uh, the second question is, do you have any questions for me that you'd like to answer? This is your chance. So you've written a lot of games, uh, probably even just today. Uh, and uh, so what uh, What I wonder is, is there a kind of ideal, like platonic ideal or er-game uh, experience manifestation that you're trying to reach? No. Um, over the years, I have decided for myself that no one game will serve all purposes. There is no one game to rule them all, as it were. Um, right. But I am kind of, for me, the perfect game is about the story I'm trying to tell. For each sort of genre or theme, there is a perfect game, I think. Something that hits all the notes I want. And for me, that benchmark is sort of a Pendragon. King Arthur Pendragon. If I'm going to play an Arthurian Mythos game, I do not think I could design or find a game better than Pendragon. For right. that. And okay. I want to find those games for all these different various genres I like. Right? What is my perfect superhero game? It won't be the same as my perfect dark fantasy game. 
So they both right. need to be written. Okay. And sometimes that, that exploration is about the rules. For example, the Kickstarter we just wrapped up, uh, Mont Noir. It's not about yeah. the setting or the theme, but it's about the idea of a game forcing you to create a physical legacy artifact at your table that is both in character as well as a meta narrative guide for what is happening. Because mm-hmm. if you die, you pass that your journal is found by the next character who stumbles across it and they continue adding to it. Right. And so in that case, I'm like, I want to explore this er game idea of tactile gameplay where you are the author and the audience of your own work. Right. So, so it might not be necessarily, a, it, it can be a genre or it can be a mode. Yep. Or a feeling or an experience. Like it's, it's such a role-playing games to me are this unique medium where, you know, in a, a fiction novel, I am reading what the author has written down and I am, I am adding my own interpretation to it, but the words are static. I am not altering them. Right. Um, in a movie, the same concept. I can have my own interpretation. I can, you know, inf- be influenced by it. But what I see on the screen is going to be the same, theoretically, every time. When right. I watch that one singular film. In a role-playing game, the the basis of the rules we take is creates such a substantive product that the audience and the author are the same individual. And that is a unique storytelling medium that I don't really think exists anywhere else. No, no, I agree. And I mean, what you said there is almost exactly what I tell my, um, my classes when I teach the video game courses, how, you know, unlike other, uh, you know, uh, narrative forms, this one is one where the experience is empirically different for each player. Right, that, right. That, or even even the, the 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 player replaying the same game they've played before, there's going to be difference. It's not the same movie replayed back. There's there's things are right. going to be actually different, and and so with and with the tabletop RPG, even more so. Right, it, it's that that form of um, of of on the spot collaboration. Uh, that uh, yeah, I agree. It is a um, a, a unique form of narrative. Yeah. That was a great question and one I've never been asked. That was that was that was good. I like that. Thank you for making me think about that. Excellent. Glad I helped. Well, David, if folks want to find out more about your work and what you're up to, where can they find you or follow you? They can find me uh, on my website, davidannandale.com. Um, on the social media, I'm mostly on Mastodon now, um, at davidannandale at um, horrorhub.club. Okay. And uh, do you have anything upcoming that you want to let everybody know about? Well, uh, the I guess the, the upcoming book is The Tyrant Skies, the, uh, the final book in the Doctor Doom trilogy. And um, I guess the most recent books would be uh, Mortarian, The Pale King, that, that, that okay. are out right now. So Mortarian, The Pale King, um, a, uh, a Horus Heresy book for Black Library. And in the coils of the labyrinth, um, an Arkham horror novel uh, for Akame. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, folks. I heartily endorse David's writing, not just because he's a friend, but because he's an excellent author who I very much enjoy reading and would enjoy him if I didn't know him. Uh, so please check out David's work. Uh, let him know what you think. And until next time, this has been Radio Free RPG.